0: Hey guys, a quick note before we get into the show. Pathetique have revolutionized the way men enhance their hair. Gorgeous, salon-quality, multi-dimensional colors that not only hide your gray, but your bald spot and beer gut as well. Made from natural ingredients that enable your manliness in new and unusual ways, the ingenious, remote-controlled-shaped bottle puts you in control. Pathetic, extreme toxic masculinity in a bottle for under five dollars, delivered to your door. Pathetic would like to honour listeners of this podcast by offering a ceremonial cummerbund when
1: using the promo code Slimmingly. Shovel ready Australians, are you ready to skill up? Then the Upbeat Music Academy has the course for you. Get paid more, garner distinction from your peers. Vocational training has never been so easy. Just pop our Certificate 1 tape into your cassette machine and press play. Our revolutionary, patented, mixtape tape will do the work for you. Learn as you sleep. Stop dreaming and start learning tonight with the Upbeat Music Academy. We teach everything.
0: Who'd like to introduce this uh, episode of Is This Shirt Slimming?
2: You do, Chris. Rob. Too slow. And you are a public speaker.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of Is This Shirt Slimming? Your classic rock musical cavity search.
2: Oh, he's got notes, huh?
3: We're sucked into another Phil Story vortex.
0: I just noticed on my phone too when um, I texted you guys, the only message says pubic mullet.
2: I've got an all-back mullet. What, You across your whole back? That's what I said. Yeah. A beautiful mullet all the way down my back. Nothing on my head, just down my back. <laughs> Is This Shirt Slimming? Presented by Christopher Sulos, Robert Barnhill, Philip Muscatello. The highs, the lows, the triumphs, the invigilators, the laughter, the tears. Is This Shirt Slimming? I guess it must be a podcast.
0: Oops. I just wanted to speak about some of our musical experiences over the last few weeks because it's been a little while since we've uh, chatted. Christopher and I went to a, um, day at Studio 301.
2: Oh, nerdy. Yeah, the new studio. Yeah, the, yes. Oh, not, no. oh, I don't know if it's nerdy. It's more pop star-y nerdy, isn't it?
3: I've had a beer with, um, I've had a beer with, uh, Slim Dusty there.
0: Which iteration? We Were you in Castle Ray Street or in Alexandria?
3: In Castle Ray Street, yeah. The, the real 301. Yeah. yeah. Not the pretend I can do anything with money 301. What? What? What an the attitude. The EMI... Unlimited funds, yeah, uh, 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 three hundred
2: and one. Yeah, they were so unlimited they couldn't afford to repair the automated uh, Hewlett Packard automated desk in the old Castle Ray Street three hundred and one. It
0: seems to be unlimited money nowadays, they, doesn't Where it? Where do they get it? Tom Meisner, who owns the studio, um, seems to have shitloads of money. Is he
3: a professional gambler, like that Mona guy? <laughs>
2: the
3: who? I suppose if you put money into a recording studio, that would make you a professional
2: gambler. The, 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 actually, there is a professional gambler in the pop scene. Um, it's uh, Dieter Meier, the lead singer of Yellow. T- Tom
0: Meisner's Germanic as well, isn't he? He's
2: Austrian.
0: So, Tom Meisner is the owner of 301 Studio. And he may be a professional gambler because he lives in Monaco, as he <laughs> made very obvious at the, the speech that he gave us to, at the opening of 301, where he told us about the the 67 cement trucks. The
3: carry-flavoured.
0: <laughs> the 67 trucks of cement that came in to do the soundproofing for the place and the the acousticians and the, the $1.5 million air conditioning. Do you remember how cold it was? <laughs> It was freezing. It was so freezing. He said, look at all
3: this stuff, and why do the records still sound like shit?
0: <laughs> but, cause, uh, he's showing off. He's just, he's just telling us how cold it is. We've got it on full and you can't hear a thing.
2: Yes, we know it's full. We're freezing. <laughs> Anyone want to
3: ask any questions? Did he set that up just in
2: case Michael Jackson wanted to record there? <laughs> what, to, to <laughs> <what, laughs> inter him? Or Walt Disney. I, I like the way that Tom <laughs> preempted his uh, new address by telling everyone, I think four times before it started, before he got into the meat of anything, how jet-lagged he was. And uh, then, of course, no one asked him why, (laughs) because everyone just wanted to get the meat. So he said, so he had to mention that he'd flown over from Monaco, where he now lives, Maybe he's got a fish and chip shop there. Who knows? year <laughs> <Euros>. year <laughs> <Euros shop. laughs> <laughs> He must have taken, must have taken something with him from Australia. But I love, the I love that
0: story he told about um, going to work at um, the old Festival Records in Piemont. And oh, yes. Yeah. Um, yes. His the, the first act that the A and R department gave it to him because in those days the A and R department worked out which artist was going to go with which producer. And um, his first act that he recorded was. Sister Janet Mead, and
2: uh, <laughs> oh, the heaven, and so he recorded Lord, uh, the Lord's Prayer.
0: It became number one. Yep. Everyone wanted to work with him after he that. <laughs> he had the yeah. the
2: golden touch. <laughs> bon Jovi was weeping his uh, his uncle's studio for years before he got a chance to grab some time for his band. What a shame <laughs> they let him out. <laughs> oh, oh. Nothing wrong with the first single; it's great, especially when it goes up a minor third at the end. Gosh, what's that? Living on a prayer. (laughs) Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. What a great song! But we're really proud to see one of my oldest friends and colleague and workmate, Jack Prest, is uh, is being pushed now as a producer there, which I think is fantastic. They're advertising some time with Jack Prest and Steve Smart for mastering, which is great. Good on you, Jack. Kudos. Now, I've
0: discovered another podcast called Disgracelands, which is a fantastic podcast about music and crime. And um, I'd recommend it to all of our listeners straight after <laughs> and this. The is... <laughs> and the
3: difference is... And the difference
0: is... <laughs> it's a fantastic, fantastic uh, story. But um, but this episode of Disgracelands I heard was about um, the Rolling Stones drug bust in Canada when Keith got um, a felonious amount of um, heroin, I think he was, he was bringing into the country. And um, he was basically up on charges, which could have seen him put into jail for uh, seven years. And they were started, staying off their world tour in Canada, on the cusp of Keith being put into jail for a long time, which could have easily put the band on ice for a long time. Although Keith has always maintained that <laughs> that Mick would have got another guitarist and carried on without him. (laughs) They were rehearsing in this uh, warehouse somewhere on the outskirts of Toronto, and all these people were walking past and heard this band, and everyone thought it was a Rolling Stones tribute band.
3: Not a very good one, either. <laughs>
0: That's what I mean. The real Rolling Stones <laughs> sounded like a tribute band. And the only reason, the only reason why they, the crowd realised it was the real Rolling Stones is because someone saw Margaret Trudeau walking into the warehouse for another one of their parties.
2: <laughs> so they, th- so the government threatened to arrest and jail the guitarist. Oh, he was arrested. Just long enough for Margaret to party. And then when the party was over, they were allowed to go. Is that right? Because that's what it sounds like. <laughs>
0: well, he was he was at, he was out on bail, and he had to go to court. But um, when he finally went to court, the judge was uh, moved to sympathy because there was a blind girl who came to testify. Oh, on... Hold
3: on, hold on. Legally blind.
0: <laughs> Legally blind. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> and this blind girl went and. Uh, pleaded on behalf of Keith because apparently whenever Keith and the Stones toured in um, Canada, she was a huge Stones fan and um, Keith always made sure that the road crew got a good limo and picked her up and put her into a good spot to listen to the Stones and made sure she got home safely. And the judge was moved to compassion because of this. And um, this is where the song Girl with the Faraway Eyes comes from. It was uh, written as a tribute to this girl.
2: it, it is, a it's a nice story oh, for Keith. Lovely, Phil. Yeah.
3: Sucker gets into talking about the Rolling Stones. <laughs> My shit together to have a Roger Gold segment tonight.
2: Roger Gold?
3: Do you know about the Roger Gold segment, Chris?
2: I've never heard of Roger Gold. Oh,
3: what? Roger's a friend of uh, Phil and mine, and he's... Oh, um, uh, Roger used to work for WEA Records, Warner Brothers, and he had to chaperone Johnny Cougar, Mellencamp, Uh for a week. For the whole week, he was a prick on Countdown everywhere, just horrible. And at the airport, he said to Roger after a week, he said, can I buy you a beer? And Roger was surprised. And he said, yeah, of course. And he said, Roger, you've been great. Sorry I've been a prick all week. That's the act. But then Roger told me another story about Rick Wakeman. Rick Wakeman toured here very successfully in the early 70s. I don't remember. Is this but, the journey
2: um, of the centre of the earth stuff or the yes stuff? No, it might have been journey, uh, but he had journey a band. Up.
3: He had a band of hippies and they all wore sandals and, They were all vegan. So what Rick would do every night, even at the Horden or anywhere, any gig, Rick would order Indian food to be brought in and he would eat it during the performance on stage just to piss the Uh, other guys off.
2: I think that was yes. Lamb and (laughs) beef. That was yes. Here's here's my three-hour one story. Um, My cousin Peter Angus, who lives in Brisbane, was one of the maintenance engineers at the 301 in the 70s, late 70s. They were touring, and um, Rick just hated hanging out with the guys because they were all really into uh, this Eastern mysticism and they were all reading the certain book because they were about to make it. Uh, soon after all that happened, they made the Tales of Topographic Ocean, which was just the most self-indulgent. So Rick hooked up with Peter, and uh, they would go out... Every night to pubs and they ended up Peter this. Uh, Rick discovered this pub in Surrey Hills which he ended up loving. And he'd go in and, and have a few beers and play barrel house piano for everyone.
3: Apparently he loved playing barrel house piano.
2: <laughs> just to get away from the
0: We have told this story on Slimming before, but I don't think anyone's keeping count. But um, I just I'll just add the last time we talked about that I, I said that he most probably did the barrel house version of Journey to the Centre of the Earth <laughs> <laughs> Just, just to work that joke right into the ground,
2: <laughs> oh, right to the centre.
0: That segues nicely into um, the prog rock side of the story because we're going to be talking to Stuart Storman next week, who's made this fantastic prog rock album. And have a listen to it, Rob, because you should listen to it before we go. But it's, um, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying. I'm not saying that just because you know you're my friend and I need to say things like that. But it's really <laughs> fantastic. And apparently, I didn't even realise there's a magazine, there's a prog rock magazine still. Of course there is, Phil. There's prog yeah. rock bands all, all over the world. The-
3: pages <laughs> stuck together.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> Those prog rock
3: guys,
2: oh, they don't get out much.
3: Not since the 70s. I think Chris has that magazine.
0: God,
2: what a cold-blooded attitude you've got. What did I lovingly call prog rock today, Phil? Uh, metal for nerds. Metal for nerds. Yeah. That's right.
0: Has anyone ever seen the? Um, there's a documentary. Bill Bailey, yeah, you know, the English comedian, the one that's in yeah. um, Black Books. Yeah, the one that he does about he's got a, prog rock. He's got thing. a documentary about prog rock, and it's fantastic. Yeah,
2: he's he's a, he's a good musician, Bill, and he's done. You know, he presents this. Um, obviously, he likes prog rock, but um, I was surprised. There's, there's a couple of different versions of the, in the beginning of prog rock, but it, but it came from two surprisingly different sources. Mm. There's the American part and the, and the English side. Mm-hmm. And the theory is that prog rock, um, emerged from the, uh, Jethro Tull, yep. which Thick as a Brick is the first, uh, jazz rock or prog rock album in British music. Mm-hmm. And Frank Zappa's Hot Rats was the mm. first fusion jazz rock classical album to break out of, uh, break out of the normal sort of R&B scene
3: what was it Frank Zappa. just make a note jazz <laughs> rock classic <laughs>
0: <laughs> with Frank's a bit Apple. of with a bit of Hot blues Pats. violin
3: no country and western in there
0: oh it's a great album Hot Rats it's still one of my favourites Hot Rats uh, is a great album
2: oh, it's so good you have, Rob have you not heard Hot Rats
3: yeah I have but not since the oh, 70s
2: have another listen have another listen and realise there was no precedent for the album that's the prog rock scene
0: Mm-hmm. Into a <laughs> it's too much talking about prog rock.
2: It's got a mind of its own, Phil.
0: I went to see Squeeze.
2: This is the UK band Squeeze.
0: Yeah, they they were called UK Squeeze yeah, here in um, Australia and in America.
2: Yeah. They were really good. I remember hearing their album "When the Call for Cats" album. Uh, being at a picnic and someone playing the whole album, I went, "Who's this?" It's like it's the same band. Like, You've got to be kidding! Yeah. This is great. Yeah,
0: yeah, musically just wonderful. The, the playing was fantastic. Yeah. They, yeah, they've been together since 1973 since they were young teenagers. And uh, it's Chris Difford and Glenn Tilbrook. And um, Difford claims that in 1973, he stole 50p from his mother's purse to put a card in a local sweet shop window to advertise for a guitarist to join his band. And though he didn't even have a band at the time. And uh, Glenn Tilbrook was the only person who responded to the advertisement. And the rest is history, ladies and gentlemen. They're still together, but... However, Chris Difford didn't... But... but. Chris Difford didn't... um, come out to Australia. At the end of the concert, everyone's sort of going, where's Chris Tifford? Where's Chris Tifford? And at the end of the concert, Glenn Tilbrook said, well, you know, there's someone who should be standing here, but he doesn't like to fly. <laughs> he sends his apologies and thanks you for coming. <laughs> the other fact that I found out about uh, Squeezes is, is that their first album was produced by John Cale of the Velvet Underground. Now, there's a, <laughs> there's a strange pairing, isn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah, and we, um, they had to remix. They had to remix the singles because they weren't uh, commercial enough.
3: He's got something new out. He
0: does, yeah.
3: I've been listening Has to he? it, which is sort of nice. I played it. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's weirdly Once. nice. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. Is that through the Brian Eno connection? Did you,
0: someone just say Brian Eno? Because I, I've just made the mistake of following Brian Eno on Twitter. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, he's out there? He doesn't stop. <laughs> he just doesn't stop. <laughs> it's like what does he uh, talk he's, about? Well, uh, himself,
3: himself. Here's my hair in nineteen seventy two. he's <laughs> here's, here's my hair in a jar.
2: He's out there. Wasn't he? He was in the Portsmouth orchestra, the worst orchestra on earth.
3: Uh oh, pop! Phil had that album. I used to love it when you played that.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was it was a great way to end the night. The other thing he did, which was interesting, was make pornos. My in porno. he used to he used to go onto porno sets and and walk in and become a, an extra. Well, who hasn't? Who hasn't done that?
0: <laughs> Look, here's he's a spreadsheet. But, but if you're an extra, if you're an extra, do you get to participate in porno scenes, or do you just—that's what it means. Y- you participate, huh? That's what it means. <laughs> <laughs> That's not clear to me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know this special knowledge about porn
2: <laughs> no, I don't have special. It's just that these aren't particularly. these is not. These are not trained actors, Phil. I am. Oh, yeah. Wh- Ricky Nelson. Ricky
0: Nelson. Ricky Nelson. Nelson.
2: John Denver.
0: John John Denver. John Denver. John Denver. John time. John
2: time. John John Anyway, uh, shout out to one of our listeners, contacted me uh, during the week and... Uh, Complains? No, said he was impressed that I'd mentioned a style of music that he hadn't heard of and uh, he's an architect and uh, listens to our show and, and he's chuckled many times. I
3: don't think he'd be chuckling tonight.
2: I think Psytrance
0: is actually prog trance in disguise.
2: This is out. Well, I think you could be right. I mean, the He Art, curs- Heart, H-E-R-T, is pretty much, um, that's asterisks.
1: Concert album.
3: You just keep doing what you're doing, Barry.
1: <laughs> Barry Manilow is one of music's great tenebrists, a master of forced intensities of light and shadow. And a connoisseur of images that linger in the mind like obscure portents.
0: Is it being a judge on the voice? Is, does that signify a career on life support?
2: Oh yeah. It's it's, yeah, it's it's certainly the it's the winter years, that's for sure. You know, because all they're say, all they're saying, all they're saying to these artists is, can you come in and pretend you're listening to the radio like we used to do, and pick mm-hmm. a song that you like the sound of, like it's on the radio like we used to do. And then at a certain point, you can turn around and show that you're not just an ordinary member of the audience. You were someone who was famous once on the radio when people didn't have pictures to look at you. Chris looks <laughs> like a one great of those concept.
3: old Greek guys in the, in the transition lenses. <laughs> I Hello. know why you look like an old Greek guy in transition lenses.
2: <laughs> because you are an old I Greek guy old in Greek transition lenses. The truth of the matter is Hendrix... <laughs> went up to Manorxottis <laughs> and asked him how he played those lightning fast risks. Ricks, ricks. the scales he used and the diminished
0: I also um did a gig last Saturday night and i did this is a record for me because i've done just about every significant decade, but last Saturday, I did my first ninetieth birthday party.
3: Kill anybody. <laughs>
0: I was a little bit I was a little bit concerned. I was a little bit concerned. I'll tell you later why I was a bit concerned. Have
3: you got any Vera Lynn?
0: <laughs> no, he wanted he don't wanted nothing. Don't
3: fuck my grandmother.
0: <laughs> <laughs> please don't fuck my Please don't fuck my great-granddaughter. <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, no, he wanted disco. He wanted disco. Now, this guy, I won't mention names, but this guy was a, is a famous Sydney.
2: Well, of course they wanted disco because they were in their 60s when that was yeah, happening.
0: Yeah, he's a famous um, Sydney restaurateur and um, he's owned quite a few significant restaurants in this town. Uh, and he's so Jewish. So Jewish. Abe Saffron? <laughs> no, but I'm sure he, he's of that ilk. And he's telling all these stories about things that had happened in the in the um, in the restaurant, like. Um, Frank Sinatra came in. Well, no, he had pictures of him with Sammy Davis Jr., with Sean Connery, with Michael Caine. Yeah, it was one of those restaurants that all the stars would go through, and he talking tables. Uh, no, no, <laughs> talking tables. <laughs> now there's a restaurant. Why don't they have? <laughs> Abdomen. Listeners, listeners mightn't remember Talking Tables restaurant. <laughs> Do you remember Talking Tables, Rob? Where every there. Where, where every <laughs> table had a phone. Lucky like go there, and there'd be well, a phone we on we the table. At one in Newtown. That's, that's, right. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. There's a phone on each table, and you could dial other <laughs> tables. Hey, <laughs>
3: table. you look great. <laughs> oh, now that's a chick at the other table, mate.
2: <laughs> This is before. What, was what do they use now that they flick their pages through on their phone? Face oh, Spotify's Tinder. They like they don't like. What's that called? Tinder. Grinder. Grinder. No, no, that's right. Grinder. Yeah, it's Grinder. It. It's a real life Tinder. <laughs> Grinder. Is that the?
0: Anyway, so he's tables. telling all these stories, and one of the one of the stories was a. It, it, it ended every story the same way, and so like he's telling the story about um, there was a group of. Policemen who would turn up every week and have lunch, and a couple of politicians would be there, and they'd all have their their uh, brown paper bags full of, he'd call it Schwarz. Schwarz, he'd call it, which is Yiddish. It's Yiddish for guilt, money. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: coughs>
0: and one day he peeked, you know, no one was allowed in except the waiter to serve the food, and uh, then the, the, the waiter would have to leave. And then he'd, um, one day he was peeking in to see, and then everyone at one point, pushed their bags of money their paper bags of money all in front of one person at the end of the table and the name of that man was?
3: Abe Saffron. the name
0: of the man was? Robert Askin read it in the book <laughs> and that's a way to end every story <laughs> it, 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 it after, <laughs> you got to read the book <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I
3: can't tell you anything can't,
0: can't tell anything you. yeah and then you know Rupert Murdoch was at this table and then Read it in the oh, book Read it in <laughs> Yeah You've been listening to Is This Shirt Slimming? Unfortunately We can't play Any of the music That we're talking about because the copyright bodies Responsible Won't issue a licence To podcast Have we asked them? That's why the oh. music You hear oh. Yes we have asked them oh, That's
2: we, why we, can, we can with Stuart's stuff Stewart's given us Direct
0: permission Okay fantastic That's why the music You hear is composed Mainly by Christopher Surloss And a bit by myself We'd like to thank the people who contribute to this podcast, including, but not limited to, Chris Parsons, Max Thrower, Hugh Wade, Bill Drake, Simon Whale, Jan Paul, Christopher Surlos, and Rob Barnhill. You can find us at slimmingly.strikingly.com, on Facebook at Slimmingly, and on Twitter at Shirt Slimming. This has been Is This Shirt? this has been is this shirt slimming whoops I guess it must be a podcast you didn't mention yourself in that list of thank yous Phil Phil Muscatello did you want to thank Phil
3: Chris thank you
2: Phil Muscatello Uh,
3: thanks Phil Edward Eric Philip Edward Muscatello why don't we email each other some bullet points for the next time that we can expand on and uh rubbish sorry Talk about.
2: Well, I, I thought I thought the Living Newton John Delta Goodrum thing was pretty important. Important. Yeah. It's tricky, isn't it?
3: It's, it's, it's tricky, <laughs> tricky to know how to
2: respond to that. It's. Yeah, I, ju- I just, I just, I just feel as though that it really, that sort of takes the cover band thing to a whole new level. Have you ever been mellow, Chris? Uh, yeah, yeah. By the banks of the old high earth. I saw the
3: Mississippi once. I was in a bus,
0: but I've never been to me.
3: Yeah. Oh, Phil. I've seen the life-size statue of uh, Mary Tyler Moore in Minneapolis.
2: Wow. How tall is she?
3: She was on a pedestal. Similar, similar to the one that I that I put her hand on.
2: What was that joke I told you, Phil, the other day about the, the funeral one? Oh, this bloke goes up to his um, goes up to a, a widow at a funeral and he says, uh, "Excuse me." She turns around and says, "Yes," and he says. Uh, I I knew your husband uh, very well Yes, thank you He said, I I just want to share a a word with you He said, yes, what is it? And he says Plethora And she looked at him and said You know, that means a lot
1: Karaoke singers, are you unhappy with your singing? Voice flat, sharp, thin, reedy? Then get the all-new XY40 and sing like a winner. It's not just an auto-tune device. It's timbre, coloratura, vibrato, simpatico, authenticity, texture, sorrow, and joy. Sing No Woman No Cry and have your audience cry. Win prizes, make new friends, and be admired with the all-new XY40. Available in analog, digital, plug-in, and implant at your
2: local record bar now.